Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. All right, folks, welcome. Here we go. We got on the podcast. We're back. Welcome to Touchdowns All Day with John Barber Podcast. We're going to start this podcast with a quote. The quote is from today's guest, the professor, Mr. Sam Altman. I should say Dr. Sam Altman. But this is a quote from his Mr. Days from way back in the day. Let's take a listen. Let's peer into the Wayback Machine and see what Sammy was thinking back in the day. Ready? What the hell do you care what I have to say? Every show, I sweat my nuts off behind the drums. Staring at the back of Brownie's head, trying to make you get up from your tar black tree sap, Vermont raspberry slow roasted hemp seed microbrew. And onto the dance floor, where are you? Usually just bat your half sealed, glassed over, self absorbed eyes at John or Aaron. Isn't he so cute when he plays the organ simulator with his elbows? And so I drop five or six pounds of hot, sweaty grease onto the head of my drums and then get up and I try and talk to you. What the hell? I'm just this slick, panting, lubed up, bearded mountain trying to tell you how fucking appreciative I am that you came to see us play. And oh yeah, I'm in the fucking band. And so you let us crash at your house. If you call that coffin, you cordoned off from your lesbian roommate's dorm room with an urban outfitter's tapestry, a house... And you start massaging Brownie's slapping thumb with patchouli oil while I'm sitting on your bathroom floor trying to rehydrate my depleted electrolytes with toilet water. Eat me. What's the point of this rant? Do you ever wonder why bands go through drummers like you go through edible panties? It's because you ignore them. I don't want to end up in the back of the van with a drumstick up my ass and a sick smile on my face and some black Mexican heroin dripping from my nose. Please take notice of me. You really don't know what you're missing. End quote. You know you're listening to a podcast when the host goes, end quote. You know what I mean? That's how you know. That's how you know it's a podcast. The phrase end quote doesn't have any meaning outside of podcasts, but uh, Sammy, really ranting there, really ranting old school Sammy, a.k.a. Zam, really ranting there, really letting it out. Being a drummer of a band is not an easy job, folks. It's sweaty, it's a lot of hard work, it's physical, it's tough. You don't get the kind of accolades and the attention that the guys in the front of the stage get. It's just a tough gig. After the show, you need a real Gatorade and a shower. Everybody else gets to have a beer and party down. You need to go into a tent and get disinfected. It's a whole nother world. So Sammy's coming on the show today to tell us about his years behind the kit with the biscuits and his world now. He's a doctor. It's the COVID-19 era. I'm sure he's going to have some interesting things to say. He always does. And it's Friday, so we're just going to kind of keep it light. You know what I mean? Let's keep it light. Let's have some fun. And I wish you all well. Mr. Sammy Allman on the podcast tonight. Let's do a couple things before we get there. First, we have Touchdowns All Day merch. Go to the website, touchdownsallday.com. Click the shop link and buy a bathrobe or T-shirt. Pretty awesome stuff. Our YouTube page is up, Touchdowns All Day YouTube page. We're putting some videos up there. The Brownstein video is up there. There's a lot of little 
little snippets up there, some great graphic work by Crunk Mike and his team. It's looking good. As for the podcast, we have some roundtables, which I'm still cutting. I'm sorry. I know I promised I haven't cut the uh, one piece of them. I've just been getting busier and then unbusy and then busy and then busy. You know, uh, yeah, I got a kid. He's in the, he's in the fourth trimester. It's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. We also have been, you know, arranging the Sammy interview today. I interviewed Pete Shapiro, Wetlands fame, uh, Fare Thee Well, the guy who reunited the Grateful Dead. I did interviews him yesterday. We're going to release that. It was a Zoom interview, and we can't just pump it out as quick as the Sammy one because next week is a Johnny R. Good interview. So those of you who uh, know our lighting guy, Johnny R. Good, he's one of the best lighting guys in the entire planet. And we are lucky to have him. And we're going to talk to him next week about what he's doing, what's going on. You know, why is he known as the bad boy of the jam band lighting scene? We're going to find out what the deal is with him. And that's going to happen. That is going to happen. Obviously, Osiris Podcast Network is our network. If you're looking for stuff to listen to, go to OsirisPod.com. They have a huge list of great podcasts. They're putting out new podcasts all the time. Uh, my old buddy Eric Krasno has a new podcast right now called Plus One, and he lives down the street from me. So I guess when you move into this part of California, you have to make a podcast, which is kind of true because my doctor's a podcast, our doula has a podcast, I have a podcast. The, uh, the I don't know, I don't want to go anymore. You get it, you get it. Check out OsirisPod.com and listen to some different stuff. But don't forget about the Touchdowns All Day podcast. Don't forget about us over here. And if you want to, Tell a friend about the Touchdowns All Day podcast. Tell a friend. Send what send the podcast to somebody random and be like, hey, check this podcast out. Let's all do that this week, this weekend. First for the Sammy interview. You know, if you like the Sammy interview, just send it to somebody or send one of the Allen interviews to somebody. Let's branch out a little bit, shall we? Folks, shall we shall we branch? We're gonna make a TV show. We got some merch. We're doing cool stuff. Let's branch a little bit. Time to branch. Um, we got Sammy on the show. This is a great, fun conversation. Sammy's hilarious as always. Uh, you know, Sammy and I used to jam before the band started, like just me and him. And uh, I feel like going back down memory lane with him is just a pleasure. I'm glad you guys get to listen along. Let's hit the theme song. It's the Touchdowns All Day with John Barber podcast. Let's ride. We're mass communicating. We're mass
All right, let's do some ads. We got a bunch of new sponsors who are helping to bring you your Touchdowns All Day podcast. We'd like to thank all of them. First sponsor is Nugs.net. You guys know Nugs.net. Features over 15,000 shows from your favorite bands. Listen to hundreds of shows from yours truly and the Disco Biscuits. And there's a ton of other rad artists as well. Plus, there's a growing collection of full HD videos. Check it out free for 30 days. Nugs.net slash touchdowns. One lucky listener who signs up for the free trial will win the annual subscription. That's at Nugs.net slash touchdowns. We thank Nugs for being an integral part of the jam band scene and for doing everything they do for the Disco Biscuits. And thanks for being part of the Touchdowns All Day podcast. We'll see you guys. Nugs.net slash touchdowns. Win something. You can win the annual subscription, which is great. We have a another thing you could win too today. We have a second advertiser. Their name Sinlawn. S Y N L A W N. It is a artificial grass company, folks. Artificial grass. They sent me two pieces of it. I'm gonna uh, post a picture of it to my Instagram, and they have basically artificial grass that you could put anywhere. You could put it in your living room. You could put it in the backyard. You can put it. I, I would put it if you had a balcony, put it on the balcony, anywhere that you're not quite sure what to do and you need some lawn, this place is perfect. Sin Lawn uses bio-based ingredients like soy and sugar cane. It's made in the United States. They're uh, one of the largest manufacturers and installers of synthetic grass. It's USDA bio-based certified, safest and cleanest turf available, great for kids and pets. So go to sinlawn.com slash touchdowns and take a look at their products if you need grass for any of your needs in that category. I have some artificial grass at my house, and let me tell you, it's way easier. Folks, sinlawn.com slash touchdowns. For information on Sinlawn products, great for residential, playgrounds, roofing, golf. So if you golf, you probably want to go to sinlawn.com slash touchdowns and enter this contest that they have, which is an Osiris podcast network wide contest running through august 31st you can enter the contest to win a free eight foot by 14 foot dave pell's green maker putting green system it's usa made professional quality putting green perfect for all golf levelers of all ages and skills the revolutionary dave pelt's green makers the finest complete package putting green system available on the market today folks do you want a putting green it would be really great right it's easy to put together. They're going to pick a winner by August 31st, and the winner will have their putting green in time for Labor Day. And you can, you know, make margaritas and cocktails and putt on your fancy Sin Lawn putting green, and it'll just be the coolest party of all of Labor Day. And I highly recommend it. So go to sinlawn.com slash touchdowns. Sin Lawn, thank you for joining our podcast. Thank you for sponsoring. What's up, buddy? You got a little drool on your face? Drool? Is that drool? Is that drool? It's probably drool, right? It's, it's, what is it? All right, my kid drools. He likes it. He doesn't think water needs to stay in his mouth. He just pushes it out of his mouth whenever, whenever he overflows a little bit. He just goes right, right out of his face. I think it looks convenient, but, you know. It, he, he doesn't need to drill as much as he does. All right, our third sponsor, Sunset Lake CBD. 
There's a promo code for 15% off for Touchdowns All Day listeners. Go to sunsetlakecbd.com and use the promo code TOUCHDOWNS. And they send me a box of CBD stuff and a bunch of documents about how pure the CBD was. Apparently, you can go to their website and you can see all these documents. Really, everything. They had these CBD joints, flour in a joint. I have never smoked a CBD joint before, but wonderful. Better than the edibles. Now, you know me, I don't really smoke joints that much, so I don't really smoke anything, but... That was good. It was really great. I was surprised. Their CBD gummies are awesome, of course. And the tea or the... uh, What else did they have? They had some tincture, some keef. I don't even know how to use the keef. Somebody's going to teach me how to do that. And then there's some coffee. Really great. And everything has full documentation about the ingredients and what kind of milligrams you're getting. These guys are a family-owned dairy farm that produces milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream, and they decided to diversify and start growing hemp for CBD, probably because for every CBD joint they sell, they'll probably sell a quart of ice cream as well. You know how that works. So there is also a nice social mission to Sunset Lake CBD. They are an advocate for ending the war on drugs. They are donating 4.2% of all online sales in July and likely further after that to the Drug Policy Alliance in hopes of furthering police and prison reform as it relates to drugs. Go to Sunset Lake CBD, go to their website, check it out. And, you know, another amazing CBD company advertising on our podcast. I love it. I love the product and the quality of these companies. They're, They're fantastic. They have all the documentation. They know everything about how they're farming it. And the products are great. Use the promo code touchdowns for 15% off on the whole thing. That's the ads, folks. Enjoy the show. Are you enjoying the show? What are you doing? Are you playing drums? Drums. You want to play drums? There you go. All right, here we go, folks. This is a Sammy Nug Upper Jam April 7th, 2001. And I think, you know, we were looking for jams where Sammy kills. So here we go. Let's check this out. See what happens. Thank you. 
stuff here you can really hear the room you can really hear the echoes surrounding the mics or wherever they got this from and it just it feels gigantic and and really organic at the same time sammy's playing some beautiful hi-hat stuff here and really killing it Thank you. 
crazy off the cuff stuff right there. Really got huge. Sammy just it gets bigger and bigger with Sammy doing his thing. It was great. Biscuits have been blessed by two amazing drummers. All right, so that's the jam, and now we're going to hop into the interview and talk to the man himself, ladies and gentlemen, the professor, Mr. Sam Altman. Um, power beats. Uh, power beats. Hello. What's up, Ambina? Hey, how are you? Good. Good to see you, dude. How's things? How's how's New York? It's crazy. It's good. Bye. Right on. Let me center myself. Yes. Not in like a yoga way. Just in like a screen way. Not in a yoga way. Do not center yourself like a yoga way. I'm already centered in the yoga way. Clearly. I am um, so centered as a yoga way. So yes, how are you, buddy? Beard's getting long. You look healthy. What's how's the house? Is this is this your place right here? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're renting it for a little while just like to get out of the city a bit, but. Uh, you know, because it's getting kind of, it's Lev's home from school, you know, so, um, and Leslie's working full time from home. So when I'm home, I'm home with Lev a lot more and it's, you know, kind of tight. Like it's not right. a tiny apartment, but you have to go downstairs, you have to put on a mask. You, you know, he doesn't really want to bring a scooter in the elevator and then he wants to touch everything in the elevator. So renting like a little country place upstate is nice because we could just basically, he and I could just go outside and like there's goats and pigs and a chicken. I mean, chicken, dude. You gotta, you gotta have some time with the kid. I mean, this is indispensable farm country time for Lev. How old is Lev? Two yeah, years old. Out. Barbara, I got signed out. He's two. No, but the thing about goats is, so do you like goat cheese? Like everybody else, you probably like goat cheese. I um, I'm a big fan of goat cheese. I don't eat the normal cheese that as much as I like. So goat cheese to me is a real thing. It's a legitimate real thing. So I hate goat cheese. I'm like one of the right. few people. I, I think it tastes like it's just it's got a really weird smell and taste. I feel like that's what goat pee and goats taste smell like. And then we get to the farm and we get by the goats and I'm taking Lev at like six o'clock in the morning to go pet the goats and they smell like goat cheese. The okay. Whole aroma and essence of goat is what I don't like about goat cheese. Essence of goat. That's what you don't like. Okay. That's what it is. That's Essence what you of like. Goat. That's what people like about goat cheese is that's the way a goat smells. Yeah, no, that's not correct at all. That's not even slightly. That's not what I like. I don't like to rub essence of goat on my morning omelet. That's not. I don't like to rub cheddar cheese on myself either, but I'm just saying that's where the smell comes from. I mean, there's, there's no like, essence of cheddar. Made, have you made human cheese? If you made, if we could somehow make human cheese, I feel like it would. This is gross. It smells like B.O. Probably because we're humans and we don't eat humans except for a small, very small subsect of the, of the group. What we eat imparts the aroma and the taste of the cheese, hence the goat and cheese. And I just don't happen to like the way the goats smell. It's not really that I don't like goat cheese. I don't like... How do you know what a goat smells like? Do you have a goat? Because this... now I'm on the farm and there's four goats. And they smell like goat cheese to you? Yes. Now that would change, maybe change my whole perspective on goat cheese. To be honest, doesn't with you. have to. I'm, I'm sure that you. You might have ruined it for me. You might have just ruined the only go, cheese. John, you're gonna go smell a goat, and you're gonna be like, oh, that's like uh, that's like an interesting flavor. I like the smell of that animal." Oh, that's what I'm gonna say. You know what? We have a huge portion of our fan base is lactose intolerant, so uh, they eat goat cheese because, because they're they can't. Jews. Yes, they can, and they can't. <laughs> they can't. Uh, 
process any other cheese besides goat cheese. So you're ruining the only thing that they have right now. I don't think I, on the I don't think I'm ruining. It. I think I'm an outlier. I just think it's like one of those things, like asparagus, right? Like people like say when you eat asparagus, you pee. It smells weird. That's not true. It's just certain people have the gene that can smell that's, that smell. I, I, I disagree that that's not true. I thought asparagus was kind of like a broom for the body. It sweeps you out. It does, and, but that's and take and the asparagus smell is like sweeping done, sweeping complete. But not everybody can smell that smell. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Everybody makes that smell, but not everybody can smell it. Mm. You have to have mm. a gene on to be able to smell that weird smell. Do you think that gene does anything else besides letting you smell asparagus? Did you think? Yeah. Is it just it probably makes you like an amazing pole vaulter? Can or, I, can uh, we talk about this for a second? You're you're a doctor, right? So so I, I'm not, not a doctor, right? You're not a geneticist. No. So you and I probably have a similar understanding of genetics. Okay. So because I have a lot of questions about these genes, I mean they have like uh, a lot of issues, especially when you have a kid. They have a lot of stuff about genes. You gotta you have this gene, you have that gene. You gotta take this test and that test. And they always seem to think that this gene does only one thing. And I don't see anything in the human body that does only one thing. Totally. Agree. I never see that. You know, like you take the eyeballs, for instance, the eyeballs give you vision, right? Very generally, they give you vision, but they also cry and and give you the ability to like emote a very sad emotion and, and get it out of your system. And it's like yeah, kind of unrelated to vision person into submission or stare down your prey. Agree. A hundred percent. Yeah. So, so it's, no, nothing ever does one thing. And that's why when they say. I feel like just for an example, when people always say, this is the thing you should eat, right? Like, mm -hmm. When we were growing up, it was like, what was it? Like bran muffins. Oh, bran muffins. Great for you, right? Right. Great for you. Terrible for you, actually. Bran muffins and you just farm bran, like the mm -hmm. bran, whatever that is exactly, like a lot of shit goes wrong. Like you probably lose half the enzymes in your body if you just eat bran. And if you just farm a field full of bran, then you're probably killing a certain kind of worm and a slug and a bird and a tree. So nothing ever does one thing. Everything is a whole system. So I agree with you. I mean, look, Bran was in Game of Thrones and like literally every scene of, of his in Game of Thrones made no fucking sense to anybody. None you know, they were, at all. Like, who is this guy and why is he? What's a raven and why? why how do you get it round in, in Game of Thrones times without a wheelchair? How does that happen? How, how did they make a wheelchair? They had one. They were, was that the first wheelchair? It was the first with that they had. That's what they even said. Like, this is the first wheelchair. He had to, like, go to a different era and get a wheelchair. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. Bran was weird. I liked Bran before they threw him out the window. Uh, and I never really got <laughs> what the whole thing was. And he was kind of annoying. Yeah, it was kind of like, uh, kind of tough to push a child out a window like that. This show is very, very crazy. Like, yeah, I, know. I guess. Get to, I mean, that, that was a twist, though. You get to really like that guy. You get to like jamie lannister i mean that's storytelling right like there, you, yeah. there, you would really are presented with an like a very strong case for hating this guy uh -huh. and, and yet you grow to like him and then you sympathize with him and then really feel sad for him and then root for him i think in the and end, then he exactly gets his happened. yeah then they set it up with the moment of redemption right like the whole yeah. moment of redemption where you get to die in good steed with your people who you yeah. You wronged at one point in time, but you forget. Or maybe you don't forget it. Maybe that it's like a lesson about people. Nobody's good or bad, right? Like 
So he threw the little boy out a window, but he's got some other redeeming qualities. It's hard to come back from that one. I mean, I don't know how many really times is. he, you know, I guess, I guess he did some other good things. I see. I think I was lost in that show mm. with other people's perceptions of the characters. I just didn't agree with anything that anybody ever said about the characters. Like that people, they loved this one character. They hated Cersei. They hated Cersei. I, I never understood that. What was to hate about Cersei? I never got it. That's people people have an inability to separate a character from a real person like i wouldn't i don't think i would like cersei as a person but i appreciate her character as being a great character so that's yes. when people say they don't like her like yes she's an evil queen why what, what did she do that's so evil what did she do that's so evil didn't she tell me why she's city? so evil didn't she burn the whole city with the the flaming like flash paper she didn't have any choice. All those people were going to kill her. Who in that, who in that, who in that, she didn't burn the whole city. She just burned, oh, at the very end, at the very end when she burned the, the whole city. End. When what's his face, her last kid jumps out the window because the whole city burned. Didn't she do that? Didn't yeah, she, she did do something like that. She did do something like that. Or maybe that was the other one. I don't know. I don't remember that, that show. That show went down in flames and no business. Like, ugh, terrible. So great. Seasons five and six. So great. And then. Yeah, but the dropping the knife, like the, the dropping the knife with the White Walker and then killing him, that was pretty sweet. That was sweet. That was sweet. I agree. There you go. There you go. Way to bring it back around, my man. Way to bring it back around. So you're on a farm right now. Mm -hmm. Let's let's just talk about where you are, because I've, I've never known you to live in any kind of rural environment ever. You've always been a city person, a New Yorker to me. It's true. And you don't like goats, so you're unhappy where no, you no, are no, right no, now. No, 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 no. I do like goats. I just don't like the way that they smell. Uh, that's that's that means you don't like goats. I don't think so. I think I go out there and pet them despite their smell. Oh. Mm. Okay. So it's kind of a little bit of I think, spidey. I think it's a. I think it's a. I think of myself as having the fault or the faulty gene sequence where mm -hmm. I don't like that smell of goat cheese. So I'm missing out on what everybody else thinks is a great family of cheeses. And then also, <laughs> <laughs> the whole yeah, animal. I love that family animal. of cheese. It smells bad to me, but I think that they're cute and nice. They're kind of like horses in a, in a way. Like a, it's, like a, it's like a horse llama. And Lev really loves them. My son really loves them. And so. So, like, yeah. calling it a horse llama, are you just, like, kind of moving through creatures until you get to something that more resembles they're a hooves. goat? They, have, they both have hooves. All right, so you, you're close. You're really close. So, yeah, they're hooves. Yeah. Yes. So horse, kind of close, yeah. llama, getting a little closer, mule, now you're on your way. Well, there's, I don't know if they're, so there's, this is what you think about when you live on a farm for a little while, is there's equine, there's a horse. Okay. Of or pertaining to the horse. And there's of porcine. Porcine of or pertaining to the pig. Or that family. Didn't know that. That's fresh. And then there's there's gotta be something for the cow and something for the goat. I haven't learned anything. Wow. Damn, dude. So do you have all of these animals on the farm with you? This so we we rented a little house and in the like there's a big field, like when you go out the back porch. And then there's like a, a little farm and a, and a woman who owns the house who's renting to us lives in the barn. She has renovated half of it really nice, like a little apartment. 
than have if it's an actual barn and then there's a barnyard and there's four or five goats, a bunch of chickens, there's two pot-bellied pigs, and uh, a dog. I love that. And did she have these animals, like, are you going to kill the chickens and eat them at some point? No, no, they're egg-laying chickens. So, like, we mm. can, I can take my son out to the barn, uh, we get eggs. It's another cool thing. So we go to the barn, and the woman whose farm it is, here's a come take love, let's pick some, get some eggs. And there was one egg, and she told, she says, if you throw the egg on the ground, the chickens will eat their own egg. And it's good for them, because when they eat their own eggs, the eggs that they lay have a, a whiter, like, uh, better, more refined shell. And so, sure enough, Lev gets the egg, he's two, and she's like, throw it. Like, he's holding an egg, and he's two, and she says, throw it. He's like, so psyched, and he throws the egg on the ground, and all the chickens come and eat the, eat the, the egg. Wow, I'm so glad you're having this experience with your child. You would never do that in New York. No. No, we'd never throw an egg. That just came from, you know, fresh direct. Yeah. Not, and there's no the, chicken to eat it. Think of what a massive education this is for a two-year-old. Like you, you're taking for granted the fact that you learned all this stuff at some point on a TV show, but he's learning it for real. Actually, are you going to milk a cow with the child? Uh, I don't know if we're going to milk a cow, which would be great. But there is, there's cows around here, and there's this amazing ice cream parlor that's like got the same name as the farm, and the cows, the dairy cows, make the milk for the ice cream. So mm. if you eat nice, it's close. I think you should try and milk a cow. I, um, I I once hung out with some Texas farm people, and that was their big question to me. That was how they knew if you've you've either milked a cow or you haven't in their mind. And you had not. I had not. I had not. I forget what I said exactly. I tried to play it off like I was cool anyways, but uh, no, I had not. I had not. Okay, yeah. I had to milk want, a cow to, to be cool. I watched John Lesser milk a goat. That's the same thing. That's the same thing. That's, it's, in this situation, you'd be fine. Right. I think it's like I a think, Yeah, it's just milk an animal. You should call John, get a little advice on how to do it, and get, take Lev out there. I think you should stay on the farm for a couple of years. Imagine how different Lev would be if his rap at age 20, 25 is, well, me and my family, we moved to a farm from age two to age seven. Just imagine how different of a person he would be if that's what happened. And then at seven, we moved back to the city and, you know, I learned how to buy gum at a bodega. But before that, I was milking goats and taking care of all this... You know you what know, I mean? I'd like to think that you're right, but then part of me thinks like that the kids who grew up on the farm don't remember that. They remember racing their souped up, you know, Thunderbirds. And then... And yeah, but that's a 20. And no, you got to move... It, and the kids who grew up in the city don't remember going to the Museum of Natural History, which I took love to every week before we couldn't go there anymore. Remember that. They remember, you know, they're... Their kooky friends from Riverdale ski chalet that their parents own. You know what I mean? It's like they're not the things Classic. that we think we're exposing them to are not necessarily what they remember. Yeah, it's true. Or but, maybe they, you know. I don't know. Is there a, like a water source there? Is there a place to do any rowing or paddling or canoeing or kayaking? There's lakes. Yeah, there's lakes. We have like a little creek. He's practicing throwing pine cones in the creek. 
Love it. He should never leave. You should never leave. You should just become a rural farm person. You have the beard for it. I think it's yeah. time. You've been living in the city your whole life. Why are you not an essential worker? Aren't you a doctor? I am. I am still working. What do you do? You do reading. Well, tell me what you're doing. Oh, for work? Radiology. So I do radiology. I work for a private practice, but we also cover a hospital. Um, so a lot of that radiology work dried up temporarily during the initial phase of the crisis. So we just were reading a lot fewer studies. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, now it's picking back up. But yeah, we still have to cover the emergency room. People come in with chest x-rays, but I do primarily women's imaging. So I do biopsies, you know, things like that. So you look at the uh, x-rays and say, this looks normal, this looks abnormal. That's that's radiology, right? Radiology. So part of radiology is look. Yeah. So part of radiology is look at the X-ray or the MRI or the CAT scan, and you say this is normal, this is abnormal, or this is what it is. You have this, or you need this. And then part of radiology that I do is uh, biopsies. So you know, a woman comes in, you have something you see on a mammogram or an ultrasound, and then you need a biopsy. So I do a procedure to diagnose uh, breast cancer. What's the procedure? A biopsy. So you put a needle in the woman, woman's breast, mm -hmm. either with an ultrasound or a mammogram or an MRI. Those are the three ways we do it. And then you take a little piece or several pieces, you give them to a pathologist with a microscope, and they figure out what it is. Oh, wow. And then you know... And same with have... thyroid. We put a needle in the, in the thyroid gland to detect it. Wow. So you're, you're serious. You're a life or death doctor. Well, that stuff's not really life or death. I mean, I'm not I'm not intubating people who come to the emergency room with COVID. You know, that's mm -hmm. not like. Do I you want to remember. do that? Did you have like that that spirit inside of you to jump into the COVID fight, or are you good doing what you're doing? It's a good question. I mean, the honest answer is I don't know. Like right now, with the I don't know the answer to that. It's a good question though, because the I have a wife and a son, and that would be really risky right mm -hmm. but i feel like part of me would be proud of myself for doing it i think i'd probably be pretty good at it um because i was kind of good at that stuff but who knows i don't know but right now i feel like i have enough work with what i'm currently doing you know i never i'm fortunate that i was able to work through the whole thing you know what i mean so and Leslie's working even more than me. My wife's working, but she's a psychiatrist, so, and she's all remote, so she's from home all the time. So, I'm like, and the I'm taking care of Lev for a lot of the other time, so I can't really go do anything else. But I have mm -hmm. a lot of respect for those people. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. And you know a lot of those people, I would assume, yeah. I do know some of those people. I mean, any so many? Yeah, go ahead. And any real stories from them that? that are worth like retelling first responders and the the frontline people yeah just a covid-19 emergency stories or something i don't have any other than what's been in the new york times which is really the craziest ones i mean really people putting their life on the line every day not being adequately supplied to do a job that has to be done um, and then sometimes getting dinged for it and sometimes dying 
Yeah. Mm. I, I've, and I know a uh, DJ friend of mine out here in LA who his his girlfriend works in essential services in a hospital in New York, but like in the in the somewhere on Long Island, like they never had a lot of cases. It was no big deal. Right, but she so still bad. works there. She still goes in every day. And um, they told her, you know, you can leave and go out west or you can stay. It's up to you. Uh, she decided to stay. Part of the reason she wanted to stay was her mom uh, lived alone in the area and she was worried that her mom would get COVID and then that she'd be on the West Coast and not able to come home and help her. Yeah. And then if something happened to her mom, she'd never forgive herself. So she's been alone on the East Coast going in and out of the hospital every day and then she eventually does contract it and she had 10 days straight of 103 degree fever. Wow. 10 days in a row of just 103 degrees, like worst day of like the flu. There's the worst thing. She says the worst thing that ever happened to her in her entire life. Crazy. And she did okay then? She's, yeah, I mean, she's young. She survived it. She's okay now, right. you know, and her mom never got it from her, even though she had to like coordinate groceries and all this stuff. So there is a, uh, so it's essential services you know, even if you don't die of it, you still might end up with the worst flu ever for 10 days, which just sounds terrible. So either way, you know, it sounds really terrible. Yeah. That's why I think you should stay up in the mountains where you are and Lev can become a, you know, buy him some overalls and raise a farm he has, child. He, he has overalls. He loves them. He looks great in them too. I love that. I, but love I, mean, that. I, miss the, I mean, I miss the city. I mean, I, I miss like all the stuff that's this question about going back to the city or any city it's like all the stuff that we like about a city is disappearing mm -hmm. right now and is it coming back the restaurants museums sh going to see shows bars like when is you know it's it's tough it's affecting you in a huge way like when is the next time we're going to be okay to when am i going to be okay to be you know neck deep with you know uh Brian Tampke on one side of me, you know, and uh, Joey Big Balls on the other side of me, and like nine other people crushed at a bar trying to get a tequila drink. Yeah, that sounds like definitely. A fun, that, that sounds like a really fun night. For you. I, I don't ago, like that at all. But now it's not, right. Okay. Why would I want to stand between those two slobs? I mean, you just, the, the smell <laughs> is worse than any goat would ever be. It's Right, it's kind of like between, being between two goats. It's amazing you would choose those two people who arguably both, yeah, in, independently, both of them probably so smell worse than a goat. Between those two people seeing Aaron play in New York at a tiny club. Yes. It was like, I don't know, maybe six months ago. It was probably, and it's the last like little tiny club show that I remember going to. And it was those two guys. And it was, was Spagaband. Uh, no, no, it wasn't. I did go see Spagaband, but that was going to see Mark. It was Star Kitchen. I was going to see Spark huh. Star Kitchen. There you go. So standing the between two guys that smell worse than goats is what you'd rather do than sit on a farm. The no, educational educational resource. So wait a second. Let's let's go to the the medical, the doctor stuff, the other radiology one, stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. We have a question from one of our listeners, and let me see if I can pull up the name of the listener. Some of the listeners I have the names, some of them I don't. Uh, this one I don't, but. The, the listener want to know, what does a flow state for a radiologist look like? Is there a flow state? You know, as a drummer, clearly in an improv band, 
and uh, a, a, a good, like a, you were a very successful drummer in an improv band. Obviously, you understand the flow state. You've proven it in music over and over and over again. In radiology, have you found that kind of just like, oh man, I just looked at, I just, it, what is it? it? Does it exist? That's a really good question. The, I mean, it's the difference between. How do I answer this? The the flow the flow state in music that I had with Visco Biscuit was a dissociative thing, right? So when I was really because I wasn't Mr. Jobs, I wasn't you know I wasn't really thinking that much, feeling uh-huh. more, right? That was I guess my thing. I was I, when I was playing really well, I was feeling and not thinking so much, right? Um, and so my flow state for the Disco Biscuits was to, in a way, dissociate, you know, like inputs and outputs were like, just like, just free and unobstructed. And what you were playing, what Mark was playing, what Aaron was playing was coming in and what I was playing was going out. And it was just like this like bubbling kind of organic thing that occasionally I felt like a DJ controlling and the crowd was, you know, I was getting feedback from the crowd and then feeling that and feeding that and in a way feeling like I was turning things on and turning things off and like controlling a big switchboard. That was like my flow state for disco. It was very uh, body and heart and not so much brain. And to do a good job as a radiologist, sometimes you have to avoid that flow state, right? Because you have to, you have to use your brain and not let your heart intervene in some ways. Um, and so it doesn't do that. You don't get the same ecstatic hit doing that job in the moment as you do playing drums with the disco biscuit. But you can think about what you've done at the end of the day and get joy from that. But the question about flow state, you have to get into you have to balance and it's a little more head and a little less heart. You have to be able to not dissociate and stay in the moment and not get lost. Because if you get lost, you know, then you didn't see the cancer. You, know, you didn't see the, the big hole in the brain, you know, or the, mm-hmm. the blood spreading out of someone's eyeball, let's say. whatever it is. So you have to think. Um, but like anything you do repetitively, there's like a flow that's involved. I don't think that's what you guys are talking about with flow state. I think you're talking about more what I thought being a drummer of the biscuits, but there is a flow state and a kind of trance like state that happens when you're reading a lot of things, you have to do a job in a certain amount of time. But yeah, there, it's a different mix of brain and, and heart for both jobs. And so when you're looking at the X-ray or the, the results of the test, whatever the test might be, mm-hmm. Do you use computer programs to find these different things, or is it all just you're looking at something with your eyes and you just visualize it? And you you say, this looks wrong, this looks right, this looks like something, this doesn't. Or you have a computer program which is scanning it and telling you what's what. No, they don't have that yet. Like they have, for example, when you're reading a mammogram, which is basically an x-ray of a woman's breast, there's a button Mm -hmm. you can press that, that puts dots on things. Um, and the dots are usually wrong at this point, but the technology that they're working on, I'm, you know, we haven't got the technology that lands like, smart bombs to, to Al Qaeda fighters yet. Like, I'm sure that the, the technology that they're using in fighter jets now, we're going to get in medicine in 15 years, 
that'll be better than what I do. But currently for CAT scans, I could look at a CAT scan of, the, of a body and I'm looking at the organs and I know what the anatomy is supposed to look like. And I get a history that this is an X year old person with this symptom. And I have an idea in my mind of all the diseases and bodily processes that can cause that symptom. And I have to scrutinize the images to find things that would be causing that. Or sometimes there's nothing that I see that causes that. And a lot of times a person comes in for a test and they have a reason they came in for that test, the CAT scan, they have belly pain. And then I find something that has nothing to do with their belly pain that nobody knew was there. Yes. That happens all the time. But yeah, no, to, to, so, I mean, the short answer is no. Mostly it's it's a guy who has a, a knowledge of the human body and physiology and pathology and anatomy. And then you're looking at the images to try to figure out what's going on. And do they tell you a lot about the x-rays or do they give you the x-rays without telling you stuff? Because kind of the less information you have, the more unbiased your view can be, your your diagnosis, if you will. Both things are at play. Both things are at play. So you have to have the information to make a good diagnosis because if you give me, I don't know how much you want to talk about this, but I mean, if you want to give me a CAT scan of a person, of, of a of a 90 year old person who comes into the emergency room with belly pain and they get a CAT scan because basically they want to rule out if this person has an obstruction in their bowels or they have diverticulitis or one of these ailments that afflicts 90 year old people. And you discover that they have an incredibly slow growing cancer in their kidney. If you have the history that they have left lower quadrants so the left inferior portion of their belly pain and then you see that they have some mild inflammation there. You would say in your impression of your report, mild inflammation in the left lower quadrant consistent with diverticulitis, you know, explaining the patient's symptom. If you don't have it, if you have the history, 90 year old person, mild left lower quadrant pain with weight loss for six months, um, then you're thinking, Oh, and anorexia, which means inability to eat. You're thinking maybe they have a, they're looking for a cancer. And then maybe your impression is tumor of the left kidney, you know, consistent with renal malignancy, kidney malignancy, incidentally noted as mild inflammation in the left lower quadrant. I guess maybe that's not what's happening to the patient. So the history is pertinent to what you say and what you see, but sometimes it's important to not look at that history so that you don't miss something else because i could look at that history i could see the diverticulitis and i could say well basically i'm done i don't have to look so far but then you have to think this is a 90 year old person shit goes wrong in 90 year old people what yeah do like I crazy yeah like, like crazy. that's what 90 year old is right everything's just failing left and right there's nothing you can do exactly and you're like give me a give me a pastrami sandwich. And they're like, no, you can't eat that pastrami sandwich. And you're like, give me a corned beef sandwich. And they're like, no, you can't eat a corned beef sandwich. What do you think, Sammy? Corned beef or pastrami? What's what's the Whole, call? That was a good question also. Not a good question. Whole life growing up corned beef, uh, but recently pastrami. Recently they got way into pastrami. Recently pastrami, huh? All right. Yeah. That's interesting. I think corned beef all day long, but what do I know? What do I know? I used to like pastrami better back at Penn when we used to go to uh, 44th and Locust and go to the deli at 40th, Koch's Deli. 
I used to like their pastrami better. I used to like their pastrami sandwich better than the corned beef sandwich. Pastrami is more popular. It's got more stuff. It's got all the pepper on it. So I think that's why people like it. It's a little bit more fun. All right, so let's get back to music for a second. Let's talk drums. Alex Clay wants to know when you would bust out the e-drums back in the day. So you would play kit and then you would switch to the e-drums and it would be a moment and the crowd would cheer and say, yeah, Sammy and this whole thing. Right. Did that distract you? Were you looking forward to that? How did you feel about that crowd interaction and switch to the e-drum? It was great. So much fun. Like just hit like a, a drum and everybody cheered. It was great. Um, so yes. So the switch to the e-drums, what started that? Why did you get e-drums in the first place? What were they? What would tell us the, the e-drum origin story for your drumming? Uh, hmm. we were playing electronic music, right? We were listening to electronic trance music. We were listening to Simon Password and Lucidian, and I was listening to drum and bass, and we were listening to some, I was listening to kind of minimalist trance at that point a little bit. And, uh, and we liked those 808, 909 sounds. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it made sense to have them. And I think John Lesser, the sound guy at that time, rigged me up. My kick, I had the acoustic kick sound and the digital kick sound, which were mixed mm-hmm. together at his discretion. Um, I had like That's a right. and a, 9, and a 909, 909 kick and then my acoustic kick. And so if we were playing Memphis, it would be like more acoustic in the mix. And if we were playing like a fast, like a crickets jam that was really weird or trancey or something or basses for a day, it would be like more of the electric kick. Um, so I think it just was evolved of like my vestigial techie interest. Which no, I wait, the, 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 how does, were the e-drums running the whole time? They were there, so mo- except for the kick, which is a pad. And I had like a mm-hmm. pad with six or eight things on it. I think over the years I had a couple of different little like multi-pads, but mostly it was just a pad and a little brain and sounds that I programmed. And most of those sounds were like an, an 808 snare or a rim shot or a tambourine. Like the tambourine. And then there was like a, like a sound. Yes. So they have a name for that. Which is always mixed really high. And it's, my wife was listening to it the other day. She's like, who's doing that? That's really, that's me. <laughs> What's that called? The thirst quencher? Is that what that's called? Is that what they call that thing? I think that's what they call it. I'm not sure. Sam, it might be Alan who has the thirst quencher. Whatever, but that's a good, that's a good, yeah, that's what it is. But I think that's that might be the thirst quencher. I forget what it is. I'm not in the crowd, so I'm that's busy when these things happen. <laughs> that's funny because when I drink coffee in the morning, like I get uh-huh. live early. So I drink coffee. And when I drink coffee, I drink it like this. I go. And so now when Lev drinks his milk, <laughs> Oh, really? He, he does the thirst quencher. That's funny. Are you worried, like, that your kid is going to imitate everything that you do and, like, just yes. become... You worried? Does that worry you or are you cool with that? Does it worry you? Well, I was trying to get my kid to do tummy time and he really wasn't into it. And I started doing a plank because I need to do some planks because I, I need to do something, right? So I do, I do a plank while he's in tummy time. And then I noticed that he, like does the, basically does the plank with me it's amazing the difference in his tummy time if i do a plank while he does tummy time as opposed to if i just like go he, he does it with you 
Yeah, he does. He'll do his hands however my hands are. Like if I do my hands with fists, he'll go fists. If I do my hands flat, he'll go flat. He generally doesn't fist all the time. So if I go flat, when he goes flat, it's like, oh my God, he's watching type of thing. So do you feel confident that your yoga technique is good enough to be his only role model for yoga? Or it worries me. I'm worried. I'm worried he's going to pick up my athletic prowess and, and not hit his own athletic prowess, which has got to be better than mine, right? He's got to... Like, my dad is a great athlete. My yeah, dad was I a... So, dude. I think you were, you were... I mean, you were, oh, come on. you were an athlete, right? You played You played lacrosse, right? You played football. I was bad at everything. My dad was all-American lacrosse player and great at basketball, great at everything. Fred yeah, Fred was. And I was just a huge disappointment, frankly, athletically. I couldn't play anything right. I was, that's probably why I got so good at guitar, because it's the only thing that I could do, you know, in a non-competitive way. But I think that I wasn't a great athlete because, like, we didn't do that much athletic stuff when I was a kid. Like, I tried out for Little League. When we went to try out for Little League, I had to go up and hit a pitch, you know? And that was the first time I'd ever swung a bat in my entire life was Little League tryouts. That's not right, is it? It makes no sense to anybody. So sports to me were never that great, but I don't know what, what my kid's going to do. Your kid was kicking the ball well the other day. That looked good. Well, I mean, I for me, it was different than you. I was, I don't know, this is my world image of you is coming crashing down, but I thought of you as the most athletic of the disco business. Oh, for sure. But I mean, that's like, <laughs> come well, except on. For Alan, except for Alan, because I listened to the I listened to the interview with Alan, and he's he's like a real, his dad it's was a like a yeah. Delta Force. Yeah. Yeah, I know, but I'll take Allen. I could take Allen, whatever. Whatever sport you got. <laughs> I think he could probably grapple you to the ground, but I mean... Uh, Maybe. That's, that dad, could be... You no, know, but to, to, say, to talk about, to forward the conversation, my dad was big into um, New York sports. My dad watched football, he watched basketball, mm-hmm. he watched baseball. He growing up playing stickball and baseball, and, you know, in Brooklyn, he was like his thing. And so he taught my brother and I how to play catch, how to throw a football, Mm-hmm. Foil your baseball glove, and he got two kids who could care less about sports. You know, <laughs> but it was fun. It was good memories. So, but was that growing up in Jericho? Was that were you in Jericho yeah. at the time? Yeah. All right. So, the, all the more reason to keep Lev on the farm. All the more reason. Right. Jericho. First of all, Jericho was was definitely not the farm. But yeah, you're right. I, I have nothing against the farm. I think it's great. I think I don't know what we're going to do as a family if things continue they the way they are in the city, but. I am trying to teach him some stuff. Like, so you saw that video of me kicking the ball, the soccer ball, throwing the soccer ball, pitching the soccer ball, like the wrong ball and the wrong pitch. pitching. Yes. Yeah, he was going to the mound and he's holding the soccer ball and he's throwing it and then he was right. kicking it away from home plate. It's kind of a kickball. They they have that sport. It's called kickball. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good sport. It's kickball with the soccer ball. Right. The wrong way. So- what does your kid think of your drumming? Do you play music for him? Does he is he aware of it? He's becoming more aware of it. So, when I was gearing up to play with you guys that set that we did at Camp Bisco, mm-hmm. um, I couldn't have my old kit in my apartment, so I got a bunch of e drums, you know, like pads and a brain, like real small. Okay. And so I was practicing. He was way into that. And then we got him. We got older. He has a music corner in our apartment, so he's got. He's got a harmonicas, which he loves, and tambourines and drums and xylophone and a little mini piano. And so we do music time. He'll grab the whole box and he'll like, you know, 
play music, so he loves that. But he knows now that Daddy's a drummer. Um, and now up in the farm, my wife's sister's boyfriend lives like down the road, and he's a real musician. He's a uh, he plays upright bass, and he's got a drum kit and a trumpet. And so we go over there, and Lev's way into it. So he plays the kit, he plays the brushes, he plays this trumpet. So he's in, he's really into music. He can play the drums at age two. That that seems crazy. He sits on the stool and he like uses two hands and he plays. You know, drums. He's like Mozart. I think. And kids like Mozart. I mean, you gotta. I don't know how you feel about this, but every time my kid does something, I feel like I feel like he's Mozart or he's a genius or he's the only kid who ever ever did it. Right. Maybe that's not really true. Maybe that's just. It's fun to think that. It is fun to think. I it's try, fun to try to temper it, so we're not yeah. like crazy soccer parents. But I think it's cool if he does. It. You'll get there. You'll get to crazy soccer parents. I know it. I can feel it. We're fighting it. We're fighting. So let's talk. Like you're in the band for a number of years. You you played a lot of shows. Like what what sticks out in your memory as like very memorable disco biscuit stuff. Like what. Well, do you have a favorite song that to play? Is there a show that you go back and listen to that you're like, man, I killed it this show or, or something like that? Or how do you connect? How do you reconnect with your Disco Biscuit past? That's a fun question. In terms of a specific show, I'm, I'm the worst at that. Yeah, Basically, me too. You know, since, since I was in the band and I became really into the Grateful Dead, listen to Grateful Dead a lot. Still not a show person, you know? I mean, like, that's, like I'll say that's an amazing version of He's Gone, or it's an amazing The Other One. But I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't remember what show it was from. It's the same thing with Biscuit. So, Leslie, my wife, has gotten more into the Biscuits recently, and since we've been quarantined, we've been watching those, you know, broadcasts that you guys did, like the old show broadcasts. Yeah. And when I'm watching them, there's, there's mostly shows that I'm in, but even when shows that it's Alan shows, you know, even shows that are after me, I, I'm right. There's no time has, has passed in between that show and now. Like, I, I'm literally right there. And even when I go back and play with you guys infrequently, when I walk on stage, even though it's so different than my current daily life, sure, everything's everything seems to be erased, and it's like, oh yeah, here we are again. That's really what it feels like. Interesting. So you you immediately go back to that musician immediately. state immediately, and when I'm listening to it remote, not when I'm playing with it, that's a whole different batch of emotion. But when I'm listening to it, I'm. I told you this on the phone. I'm analyzing what we were playing and I'm still, you know, happy about what some people were playing and unhappy about what others were playing, particularly myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Centered around the fact that I feel like I should have had much huger drums the whole time I played with you. But, um, <laughs> you did have a kind of a small kit, that little tiny. The blue sparkly yeah. kit. Yeah. You, what was that? That was a jazz inspiration at one point, right? I don't know why it was so small. I mean, why I, didn't you I, get like the big heavy metal kit? I, I was gonna. Right before I decided to leave, I think that was I think I was going to get the Bonham uh Ludwig clear Vista Light set. Mm-hmm. Which is like the big John Bonham set. But the, the set that I had with Tom C, our friend from 
Northern Jersey lent us the money for uh, was a small kit because we were playing smaller places, so it was easy to mic them. Ah, I see. Yeah, I see. So you could do the. They fit they in. Yeah. As much. It didn't take yeah. much work to mute them. Not as loud. More controlled. Yeah. Not as loud. Didn't need to be as loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I we went through that with Mike. Notes. They didn't even ring out as much. You know, we were playing faster. We were playing less. You know, when you start playing bigger places, like the notes ring out more. They're more sonorous, more echoes, mm-hmm. and let them go longer. So. Yeah, we talk about that kind of stuff on this podcast, how like in the bigger rooms, what you just played comes back off the wall and you feel it. So you got to kind of wait for it to come and go before you jump into the new thing. You got to take a little space on it. So do you, so you immediately, let's talk about the last time you played with the band. That was the double drum set with you and Alan, right? Mm. Wasn't that a Camp Bisco? Yeah. So what? Do you, how did double drums with Alan feel as an experience? What did, what did you think about that? Did you enjoy that? I did. I enjoyed the whole thing. I mean, I uh, I think uh, playing with someone like Alan, playing with someone who's so uh, well-trained, you know what I mean? And someone who's so on point all the time, which I would certainly love to get up there, so I guess to put it this way, when I would when I was the only drummer, right, I was oftentimes a hot mess, right? But a lot of the time that was, was very good, right? But there was not a safety net. So sometimes that was real slow, you know, or too fast, or not really thinking about like some of the things that Alan focuses on, which is tempo and and rudiments and, and, and like having this foundation like beneath what you're what's pouring out of your heart to keep you in one place, right? Maybe there was not really that much foundation. It's just kind of like a hot nerve. And so playing drums with somebody like Alan is very freeing because I know he's there. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm not really put on the spot. It is interesting that there's so much material of you with the disco biscuits. And now there's so much material with Alan with the Disco Biscuits. Probably an equal amount of material at this point. Um, I think more. I think Alan has been in the band longer than I Years-wise. I don't know about show-wise. We played a lot oh, more show. Right. I think it's probably close show-wise, but year-wise definitely is a couple years over. But, um, but it does seem like there's, even though the songs are the same, a lot of times the jam philosophies are the same, the climaxes of the jams are similar sometimes, but... The drumming philosophy and the way that we get from point A to point B is there's so many examples of how it's different that you can really go deep on the Sammy, best of Sammy jams, best of Allen jams. You can really go deep on the difference between the two drummers. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I'm trying. Completely different people. And- when, Alan, when Alan took over the band as the drummer, what was your first interaction with him? My first interaction, my first interaction, I don't know, my first interaction with Alan was, I'm sure, I, and it was it was congenial and personable and respectful and he's a complete gentleman every time I've ever spoken to him, but 
don't know, the first time, the first time I went back after I was out of the band was like the next New Year. And so at that point I was, you know, with my previous ex-wife and we were going to go to the show because that's all we ever did. That's all I had done for so long. And you called me up and you're like, maybe don't <laughs> Maybe give the fans a second. Yeah. And you were right. You were 100% right. Um, and so I hadn't met Alan then. But then when I met him, when I started coming around again, uh, he was just great. I mean, he always asks me, he always says, Sammy's good to see you. Sammy, do you want to come to plays? You know, how's it going? He's just, you know, gentleman. Gentleman and scholar. Yeah, he's always very gracious about it. Did you, have you guys ever had any kind of like transfer of wisdom from drummer to drummer? No. No, no wisdom transfer. I don't think transfer. so. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I don't, I don't really think so. I think it's more, I think, I, I think of Alan is definitely my friend and we have a really nice relationship, but we just haven't been in a situation where we're like trading licks. And frankly, honestly, I don't know what I would teach him. You know, I mean, he's much better drummer. When I, I teach him a paradigm. Well, I mean, I don't know if technically you would even want to because he's, he's, he's almost military about his precision, but you, yeah. you are a different drummer and the band was different with you in there. And it's definitely something the fans like to debate is you know what's going on it's a different style i mean the guitar playing is totally different in my opinion both times but because i'm the same person it doesn't seem like a different style your guitar playing is different with alan and with me uh well i mean i think that even if i don't think it's because of alan i think it's just because my evolved yeah completely like uh i have way faster ways to get to what I want to do musically uh, than I used to. You guys all do. Guys I'm assuming do. everybody does at this point. Yeah, we've done so many hours on the on the instrument. But like for me, I get around to modes without doing any calculus. I used to have to do math to play in a mode. You know, like what right. scale is this really? How to get there? Blah, blah, blah. Now I just lift the notes, drop the notes, you know. Like it's just, it's effortless at this point. I don't even think... Like when I play in D Dorian, I'm not playing, which is C major. I'm not playing in C major, but playing playing D's anymore. I'm just playing in D Dorian. You know what I mean? I'm playing in D, and then I just Dorian it up. And I probably don't even think I'm in D Dorian anymore. Like I just want the sound of the F sharp in my D minor, which is really what Dorian is. So it's like I boiled it down to that kind of stuff. When back in the day, it was uh, you're and there's you're. An- you become, you do something long enough. You're a guitar player, the biscuits long enough. You better know how to get from house bug party favor into helicopters yeah. or whatever the hell. Like, and every permutation of that. Yeah, there's like the, the you have a brain. You should have brain callus, like how to get. Yes, it. it's it's kind of a good thing and it's kind of a bad thing. Like when the when the structure of of music leaves you then you're playing without structure, which is great and super fluid. But we used to do really cool things like ones jams and like the diminished dropping jams we used to do that kind of everybody hated, but I thought were cool and sound, they sound cool on tape. Like, uh, like just having like very like specific changes in the jams because we're just trying it out. Like there is something cool to that, you know? There was. That was a lot of your push for the early years of the band. That, that a lot of what we did in Setlist was you pushing 
do like key changes and stuff. mathematical permutations yes we wanted to forward what we were doing as a band and then there was it was us sometimes embracing and sometimes pushing back because we wanted to rest on laurels or wanted to you know climax more easily and give the fans what they thought they wanted so yeah i mean it's 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 really true like i think the can podcast is int- what can i go pee yeah can of you course pee on a podcast? yeah for sure take the microphone with you <laughs> i'm not gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna check email here. I got an email from Spotify. There's a new Krung Bin song called "So We Won't Forget." Um, I guess I'm a fan of Krung Bin, so I get an email when they put a new song out. That's fun. And then there's another song called "The Good Life" by Gone Gone Beyond. A song called uh, "Jay Som" from Soccer Mommy and Friends. A song from Expectations by Ella Isaacson. Expectations by Ella Isaacson. Very cool. Thank you, Spotify, for that very interesting and instructive email. Uh, this is the Sammy conversation. We we have a lot of questions for Sam. You know, a lot of it is like based around Sammy and his relationship with. Alan, his relationship with early Disco Biscuits, whether he likes new and Here he is, here he is, here he is. You're back. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Sam Allman, The Professor. How exactly did you get the nickname The Professor? Is there a story there? I don't know if there's a story. I mean, I was, I, I was the only one who graduated for a while. That's what it was. You were the only one with a degree for, for a hot minute. And then I caught yeah. you, barely. And yeah, you made the self-dimming window. Yes. <laughs> uh, I yes. I'll tell that story on the podcast some other time. But uh, so, Dreddy Dave sent a question in. Dave Rolfing. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, guy. huge fan of the podcast. What's up, Dave? Um, and uh, it's kind of cool because we broke a deck and we fixed it. With Dreddy Dave, yes. Like, and it's amazing because the podcast kind of brings people together like that in a weird way. Like. When were you going to see Dreddy Dave again? But now I see him all the time because he's part of the podcast conversation. So it's great. We spent a lot of time with him on the road. Is he still in Philly or is he in LA? I think he's in New York somewhere. I know. I haven't been over to his house yet. Um, So he wants uh, you. Here's his question for you. He wants you to talk about the inspiration for Sound One. Mm -hmm. So do you want to... Yeah, he wants you to tell the Sound One story. We're going to listen to Sound One on the podcast, I hope with you. So why don't you tell us the Sound One story? How did you come up with such a crazy composition? You. You. Me. Because of you. Yeah, so we were practicing in a storage unit in California. What was that? It was... uh, Well, there were two storage... There was two places. There was that weird apartment... In the mountains, and then yeah, there was, then there was uh, Watsonburg, the uh, the storage unit. Yeah, Watsonville. It was a storage unit in Watsonville, and uh, we were fighting about the music was getting stale, and mm. we needed a new sound. 
and you were saying we needed a new sound. And we mm -hmm. had a big fight, the whole band, and you mm -hmm. split. You left the storage unit in whatever car you were driving. You ran over my foot. You ran no. over my toe. Yeah, you ran over wow. my toe. And I went home back sorry. to my apartment in Santa Cruz. Uh, I'm sorry about apartment. that. And I was like, all right, I got I got John's really pissed off. He ran over my toe. Like, shit's getting serious. I could man up and try to write, because I didn't write a lot of music, a new sound. And so I had this like little egg uh, computer. It was like the, I, the um, iMac. Yes, I remember the, it was like the, a frosted egg <laughs> and it had MIDI software on it. And mm -hmm. uh, I think I had like a little keyboard and uh, I named it sound one because I was going to try different kinds of, like sound one, sound two, sound three, sound four. Mm -hmm. so we, I was like, this is going to be sound one. And so then uh, I don't know how to write, you know, read music, but I was like putting the notes on the scale and then listening and playing with the keyboard to what I wanted to make. Mm -hmm. And I wanted it to be some kind of like techno, quasi-classical, I guess. I didn't want it to be progressive, but that's kind of what it ended up sounding up like. Yes. Right. It's like a little prog. I don't know how that got in there. But, um, and then some kind of like weird vocal rap Zappa thing, which is why I like put a, like a rap beat section in there. And that was it. That right. was the impetus for it. It was because that fight that we got into when you ran over my foot. I don't remember running over your foot. Did that really happen? I don't even remember that. Yeah, it really happened. Really totally happened. You, you screeched think... away. You remember leaving and, uh, and pissed off, right? No, I don't even remember that. I thought we drove in the car together. I thought we had the argument in the car. Yeah, that's argument I thought we had a fight as a band and you and I left the Listen, car together. It could have been we had... over my foot. another argument, but my brain, it solidified. <laughs> the solid, it's solid state that that argument was tied to the toe running over. Yeah. Wow. Like yeah, I think it was a different argument where I ran over your toe. Why didn't we fight so much? What was up with this band? Why did we fight so much? We fought all the time. What was that all about? Like, why Why are we such a scrappy group of punks? Passionate, punk, argumentative fucks. Mm, I don't know. I don't want to get into it too much. Because it mostly <laughs> involves you. <laughs> it mostly involves you and Mark. I mean, it yeah. mostly involves you, Mark. I think so, too. Two, two larger personalities. We were just nuts. I really think we were nuts. Yeah, I mean, we're all nuts. Yeah, being in a rock band makes you crazy, folks. Just, if you can become a radiologist, think about how much good you're doing for society and how unnuts you can be. How, how Do you feel yourself getting less crazy every day when you're in the radiology scene? Do you feel the the insanity just washing off of you like a soap no. or something like that? No, 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 no. The world <laughs> is totally the world is totally insane. I kind of I mean I cherish it too. I mean I, I don't I don't look back on that with any negative feelings really at all. I mean I in kind of way you, from this vantage point, it's all that stuff kind of disappears in a lot of ways. I feel that you way. Know, I, I, uh, you know, I'm much better friends with Mark than I ever was when we were in the band. It, yeah. It's a, so, I don't know. Yeah, and I feel like I look back at, like, the way that I was back then, and I just don't know why I was so set on so many things that, in retrospect, 
like we don't really use any of them anymore. You know what I mean? Like there's so many things that I was like, we have to do this, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I look back at it and I'm like, wow, oh, that was a waste of fucking time. You know what I mean? I don't know if I, don't, I, don't know if I agree with you that it was a waste of time. <laughs> I think you were on a mission and I think a lot of what you did had merit and was important to what we did. Yeah, like, some of it. You, I don't think you were, I don't think you were wrong at all. I, think you, I don't I feel don't wrong think about it. I just, I feel like like right now I, we have a disco biscuit. We have a couple of coaches. So the new version of the biscuits has coaches because I'm, I feel like when you really get, you really start working your stuff, you get tunnel vision just automatically. Yeah. And you, you need like somebody to bring you out and say, you know, you focused on, like if you're just trying to focus on things and when you're, when you're making art, there's like the critical, there's like from, from 20% to 80% of the art when you make it is, is all critique and, and bad art really, because you need to make it into what it is. If it was good at 25%, you'd be done at 25%. You know what I mean? Well, everybody so, with a feeling would be an artist. Yeah, everybody. And then it would just be like, okay, here it is, blah, blah, blah. And everybody would be like, that's great. But at 25%, it's not like, you know, Hot Air Balloon, the song at 25% was just a, in the light of a moon. Like without the musical parts, the story's not there. So... You know, we have like a couple people that I'm trying to involve in the organization to keep us on track. Um, it's hard though, because nobody nobody has any idea what they're doing. I mean, it was motivating you. I mean, I was there. I mean, you, I used to sleep. We lived in Upper Darby when you were writing that. Mm -hmm. And you lived upstairs and I lived in what was formerly a dining room. And the kitchen was next that I had a like chandelier, you know, over where I put the bed because that was supposed to be the dining room. Then adjoining room was a kitchen, and so you lived upstairs. And so you would be writing music, and I would go to sleep, and you would be thinking about lyrics or music, and you would come down, you'd put the tea kettle on, right, to make tea, mm -hmm. and you go fucking upstairs. you leave it until it boils <laughs> all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> that used to happen all the fucking time. And it, and whistle, and whistle, and whistle, and whistle, and wake me up, and then I hear <laughs> come down the stairs like oh there's no water put water in it boil it again go upstairs like da -da 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 -da, tornado, come yeah. down. no more tea so i don't know your process was... at that point kind of worked but it was kind of brutal for everybody else around you and mark yeah. had a process that was also mark's process was a little bit different he wasn't really pushing boundaries as much but he had like kind of like a more lyrical um, cloud, crowd-pleasing, you know, sing-song process. Maybe every bit is valid, but was in some ways diametrically opposed to what you were doing at that point, you know? And But the crowd loved both of those things a lot. Yes. And I mean, it's, you got to have both, hard kind for both of. both of you guys to see that, like, what everybody was eating up every night was both of what you guys were doing and that what both of you were doing together was what was the biscuits. Mm -hmm. And so that was a lot of fighting. Right. Right. Am I wrong? Is that kind of why you guys were fighting? Um, I don't know. I don't remember anymore. I think that, uh, yeah, I think that, I mean, look, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to say this isn't a valid conversation. I don't, I don't know why all the fighting used to happen. I just know that, uh, it was pretty, it was two different approaches to to making music for a band you know yeah. it was two different approaches 
And in retrospect, you see that there's like both approaches have songs that we still play every night. Yes, right. That's like the That's true. doesn't matter. Good point. Doesn't matter what your personal opinion is of the song. It's like, do we still play that song? And it's like you look at all those old songs. Like we play a lot of those old songs from both of us, you know. So it it seems like I don't know why we were so grumpy about stuff all the time. But uh, it felt very. I think I think because you guys both felt very strongly about it. Yeah, and I also think because we were broke, you know. I think that like we weren't. <laughs> it's interesting. We were fucking broke, dude. Do you we remember we? <laughs> Do you remember we used to make $100 a week cash? Do you remember that? Like the band paid for that shitty house in Upper Darby and we had Aaron's car and then we would get $400 a week and split it between the four of us. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't enough to go drinking. You couldn't take a fucking girl out to dinner. You mm-hmm. you couldn't do anything really. It was like $8 a day. And we did that for two and a half years if i remember correctly mm-hmm. and i think i think we were just broke and pissed and just didn't realize that that's what it was like yeah. do you rem- do you remember back in the day where we we were on like a little mini tour and we went to play uh we went to play a show in new orleans and then there was another one which is similar in like a beach town in like virginia and they were totally sold out. And we made like $2,000 instead of $400. And we would like divvy up the money in the van. <laughs> like Dave Clarka would be like in the corner, like watching us yeah, all. Like, your Excel spreadsheet. You had an Excel yeah. spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, we would like divvy up all the money to everybody. Mark would immediately yeah. go buy weed. <laughs> <laughs> We would just like be sitting there with like really still no money at all, but like a couple hundred dollars, which was like, I feel like in those days, like we just made a normal amount of money where we could live in separate places, you know, and like have like a life. That was besides... much later. That was much later that we lived in separate places. That was much later. Yeah. Yeah. It was so much later. It was a couple of years later, actually. It was like, what, 2002 when we moved out west. So it was just a long time to be cooped up in a house with the same four people trying to get other people to do stuff, you know, and everybody kind of doing their own thing and then getting cooped in a van with four people and then going back to the house and being cooped up in the house. It was a lot of cooped up with the same dudes, you know what I mean? It's hard. I always say the same thing. It's it's hard to be in in a van with a bunch of dudes. Yeah, I mean, think about sports stars. Like, they're all cooped up with each other, too, but they get, like, $2 million a month. Like, those right. guys are blowing off some and steam. The, you know right, they're mean? not really. And they're not, they're, like, I used to sleep under the, the, under the bench. I used to, when we would play that place, The Pit, do you remember we, used, we would go to North Carolina and we'd play this place called The Pit, which is, like, an underage club? Uh, I remember The Pit, the yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we, played the, we played there, and they were like, "You can play for two more days." It was like you played there on like a Saturday, and they're like, "You play Sunday and Monday for a hotel room, right?" Yeah, basically. And uh, so we had one hotel room, and I was first of all, it's funny thing about us, we would never have more than one guy in the bed. Like, be one we never did bed. that. <laughs> never. <laughs> we so we never. It was always three guys on the floor. fucking floor, right next to each other. But the bed was one person. Yes, <laughs> that pit show. I slept. 
on the beach. Do you remember that? I slept on the beach. Oh, yeah. You slept on the boardwalk. Mornings, I got woken up by the police. They would wake me up. Because at that point, I had like a really long beard like now. But I looked like What did the cops say to you in the morning? How did that conversation like, Sir, go? you got to get up. And he thought I was, he probably thought I was just like, you know, like a favorite. You, you kind of look like a vagrant back then. I would, I would have thought. But, but we were fighting so much. I, like at, at the end of the night, I didn't want to be in a hotel room. But the same, like you said, the same four dudes. I just wanted yeah. to get my own space. But we didn't realize that, like, what we were doing was not to be done by other humans. Like, I don't think that conversation was like. It's a weird. We know all these smart people, and nobody was like, well, "Why don't you guys like?" separate a little bit you know because the drive for us to be noticed as a band was so strong and i feel like that drive was shared by everyone um i don't think we would have made it without that drive honestly because you know so why did you you're asking why didn't we realize that it'd be healthier for us to take like to split up a little bit yeah why did we have such an unhealthy um It was so many years of unhealthy existence. I don't know. Like we could, you're saying, so we could have lived in separate places earlier and just driven to practice and then been apart. Yeah. Was being in, because we were pretty awesome back then, I got to say. Like we really all knew how to play really well. The songs were super cool. We had all these great jams. Um, you know, you were doing e-drums in the middle of the jams. Aaron had all these crazy synthesizers. Like, we weren't really an average band. We definitely thought of ourselves as, like, people were saying we're the best band in the world. We had kids touring with us for right. God knows why. And, you know, what was it? You know, was that why we kind of did all our crazy activities? Of just like locking ourselves in a house and just boiling it over or or was it just because playing in a rock band at, at age 24 is just so great what else would yeah. you want to do I, I don't know what was chicken or egg we're mass thank our sponsors for the show today it's harrys.com slash touchdowns harry's razors it's just a better blade folks don't worry about subscriptions you can set it to the least amount of razors per your term and you just save a ton of money and you get a great product listeners of my show can redeem their harry's trial set at harry's.com slash touchdowns you'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip five blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade gotta have the trimmer blade rich lathering shave gel with aloe go to harrys.com slash touchdowns and start shaving better today i'm still on my first harry's blade since the last ad i mean i don't shave that often i shave like two three times a week but i'm still i'm still on the first blade so i'll tell you how the second blade is when i get to it so go to survivor on the header of the touchdowns all day website send the video in and off we go uh, Survivor Quarantine is sponsored by Bro Bible. 
and the Osiris Podcast Network. Mm-hmm.